So I, we've, we've talked about this before. I've said this several times in teaching that it, it's sometimes framed for us that God in the Old Testament is more prone to anger, while in the New Testament, he's more prone to kindness. There's sometimes this way that people like to think that um, God is, that, that, you know, in the Old Testament, that's the outdated God. In the New Testament, we have the updated, more kind, modern God. Um, the way the scriptures are paired this morning make that really untenable. Um, so I, I'm not going to speak to Exodus 3 so much, but I'll, I'll start with the Old Testament passage from Psalm 103. Psalm 103 speaks to the kindness and mercy of God and His forgiveness and one of the most beautiful ways in all the scriptures. It, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 8 of Psalm 103. And, and it's, on it goes, this psalm. It's like one wave after another just crashing in on each other, adding layer upon layer to the merciful character of God. It's, it's so beautiful, and I hope that if you're a person who struggles with believing that God loves you and forgives you, that you would just sit down for day after day and read this psalm over and over again. If that's what you need to hear, sit down with this psalm. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. This is so true about God. But then come the words of Jesus and the words of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament today, and they seem to mess it all up. Jesus warns of ruin if people do not repent, and he tells a story as an illustration that dispels any doubt about the possibility of God bringing judgment on people who refuse to repent and turn to him. And Paul, he talks about people getting destroyed by snakes in the past. Then he tells the Christians he's writing to, essentially, you better watch yourselves. Did he have to bring up the snakes? Really? I mean, I feel like even Paul's close friends are like, Paul, you don't have to go there. Come on. What if Paul had a PR person on staff? You know, someone to temper his extremes. What if God had a PR person? These passages together, and to me, they force the question of, who is God anyway? <laughs> who is he? Is he merciful or is he severe? It would be easy for us to say, is he the God of Psalm 103 or is he the God of Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9? It would be easy for us to do that. But the answer to the question of is he merciful or is he severe is yes, <laughs> he is. He's both. He is severity and he's grace. And if you try to soften him on either front, you're going to lose something of both. It's a lot like the story of Aslan to me the God figure in the children's books, Chronicles of Narnia. This is probably the most often quoted uh, portion of these stories, and I think it's for good reason. The children in the story, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, this is one of the uh, particular books in this series, the children have just discovered that Aslan is a lion. And one of the children says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. 
To which another character replies, That you will, dearie, and make no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. And then another child, not quite satisfied with this answer, says, then he isn't safe? Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Our passages, I think, hold together this vision of God, not as safe, but as very good. So as I read the passages this week, I thought of a proverb that I think sums them up. It's from Proverbs chapter 27. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I really like the way one paraphrase puts it. The wounds from a lover are worth it. Kisses from an enemy do you in. (laughs) Let me read that one again. The wounds from a lover are worth it, but kisses from an enemy will do you in. Jesus comes to each of us as the ultimate friend and lover. This is how he wants to meet you, as your ultimate friend and lover. That's, uh, he's willing to say hard things to us. This is the way that Kelly, we were praying, Kelly, Andrew, and I together in the office this week, and Kelly prayed, thank you, Jesus, that you're willing to tell us hard things. This is what the truest friends are willing to do, aren't they? They're willing to tell us the hardest things. That's what makes them true friends. I hope that you have other friends like this in your life who are willing to do that. Willing, people that you're willing to live with in that way, to bear your soul knowing that there might, might be an edge to what they will say to you. Jesus is willing to wound us because he loves us. And he wants to heal us completely, completely. And so to do that, he has to go to the depths of our soul and wound us in those depths of our being. So there are two specific places in our lives that I see in the scriptures this morning that Jesus aims to wound us, that he aims to wound us. Two areas of sin that I think Jesus desires to heal our presumption and our pride. These are hard to separate out, but they, they belong together in some ways. I'm going to try to tease out both of them, though. So presumption and pride, you could find both of them in Luke and in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to talk about presumption from Luke and pride from 1 Corinthians, just to be a little bit simpler, hopefully. And with each, I want to show you how the hard things that are said, if we're willing to hear them, they're couched in love. They're hard things, but if we're willing to hear them, they are couched in love. I I found that it is almost impossible in the world that we live in today to say hard things and for people to think that they are actually intended in love. It's so hard to live together in this way. But as Christians, if we're going to be Christians and faithful to Jesus, we have to find a way to do it. So here's the first one. One place Jesus aims to wound us is in our presumption. So presumption is our expectation that we're owed something. 
and in this case, that we're owed something from God. We have a right to expect something of Him, perhaps based on our good behavior. <laughs> so this is the attitude of the people who come to Jesus in the gospel. They, this is the, Luke chapter 13. These people come to Him and they report to Him an event where people are killed in, a, in, a, in an especially awful way. It is awful. They were killed literally in the midst of making their sacrifice. You, you, I mean, it's, it's terrible to imagine, but this is what's happening. While they're offering their sacrifices at the temple, Pilate sends in his guards and they murder them. And this is how their blood becomes mingled with their sacrifices, is they're in the midst of offering their sacrifice when Pilate has this done. And Pilate is known, we can read this in other places in the Bible, Pilate is known to have been a particularly awful man. And he did such things. However, the reason that these people report this to Jesus is because they have an underlying assumption that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. It's a Jewish take on karma. So karma is the idea that the fate of individuals in this life is either a reward for good or a punishment for evil, perhaps even in a former life. And so with this assumption in hand, they report this to Jesus, and they're basically saying, those folks must have been pretty bad to have that done to them, right? And then at the same time, they're also saying, I'm glad we're not that bad. And Jesus, unfortunately for them, will have none of it. He rejects any notion of karma. The people who died were not any worse sinners than anyone else, and unless you repent, you will perish too. Now to perish, in this case, is, perish is an important word in the Bible, and in this case it has layers of meaning to it. Okay? So in one sense, it means simply to die. If you don't repent, you're going to die. The people of Israel, they kept trying in this time to start a military revolution and to earn their freedom by throwing off the foreign power that was over them, people like Pilate. They kept trying to foam a violent revolution. And Jesus is telling them, if you keep trying to live your life this way, trying to earn your freedom through violence, you are going to perish. Live by the sword, die by the sword. If you keep doing it this way, you're going to die. You're going to get yourself killed. You need to repent, and you need to follow me by loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you. They've constantly refused Jesus' call to walk a different road in their lives, a different kind of revolution. They've refused it. And so this is one layer of meaning, to perish. If you continue in your stubbornness, you're going to get yourself killed. And again, I said this last week, this is what happens to the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. They refused the way of Jesus. They were crushed by Rome, and many of them died. Jesus is talking about that kind of death. Another layer to perish, though, is to die spiritually, to no longer live your life before God. It's like blowing out a candle, but the candle is the light of God's life inside of you. If they do not repent and follow Jesus, 
they will extinguish the light of God that is inside of them. They will die and be no longer useful as a light to the world. This is what the Jews were supposed to be, what Israel was to be, a light to the world that draws people into the love of God and into the kingdom of God. But they refused his ways. And so the life of God was going to die within them, and they would no longer serve as a light to the nations. So Jesus says this, this same thing, to people today and to nations today. If you do not repent, you will perish. And he's saying that to people, and he's saying that to nations. He's saying that physically, you will die. It could, your, your death could come earlier than it had to. And he's saying that spiritually. The light of God will die inside of you. So these people, remember, that are, are telling this story to Jesus, they have presumed on God by comparing themselves to other people. We can't be as bad as those people. They have viewed life in God's kingdom as this elevated game of gaining favors or avoiding losses. But Jesus tells them, and he tells us too, without repentance, everything is lost. Without following me, you lose everything. So the question we're to ask ourselves out of this is if we presume on God in any particular way. Do we expect God's mercy while not living in full submission to him and and in repentance? And we need to be careful that we don't measure ourselves against others in order to feel better before God. It's easy, I think, remember, I think Jesus is saying this to nations too. He said it to the nation of Israel. I believe he still says it to nations. I think it's easy for America to do this, to measure ourselves against other nations and to think, surely God's going to protect us. We're not that bad. (laughs) Especially right now. Jesus doesn't usually choose favorite sinners. He's more likely to say to Russia, to China, and to America alike, if you do not repent, you will all likewise perish. Again, though, every wound from Jesus is couched in love. Every wound from Jesus is couched in love. He's the best kind of friend in this way. You can count on it. If he wounds you, he means it so that he can love you. Jesus then tells a story about a fig tree that has not borne fruit after three years. It's been given time, and it hasn't borne fruit. But the gardener appeals and says, let me have another year. I'll work with it. I'll dig all the way down to the roots, and I'll place fertilizer there to see if it still might bear fruit. And this, this is a picture of divine patience. The kind of God that we serve, that, that, that pursues us. Peter says this in another place. God is not slow in keeping his, his, promise, his promises as some think of it as slowness. We, we think, what's God doing? He's waiting for so long. His patience is not a bad thing. Peter says he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reason God waits is so that he might receive more into his kingdom. More. 
Every minute that you live is another minute in which you can turn away from your presumption on God, you, you thinking that He owes you something, and instead toward His grace, that He chooses to love you only because of His own abundance of kindness and mercy. This is one area of life in which Jesus seeks to wound us and to heal us. Our presumption. And the other area, and I'll spend less time on this one, is our pride. Again, pride and presumption are not very different. Pride actually might be the sin that leads to presumption. Presumption is where we assume on God. Pride is the part of us that focuses on ourselves and believes that we're okay. That we've got this. So Paul tells the Christians in the ancient city of Corinth, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that was read for us. He tells the Christians there, let the one who thinks he is standing be careful that he does not fall. And that is an echo of another proverb. It's a proverb that someone in our church quoted to me recently. Pride comes before a fall. I like the King James Version. Pride cometh before the fall. I th- this is the case for me. I-, I can only assume that it's the case for some of you too. I have this sense that the goal of being a person of faith is to get to the place where, where I feel like I'm okay and I don't need help anymore. Where I feel like I've got it together. But that's not the picture of the Christian life that's painted for us in the Scriptures. The point of living a life of faith is to get to the place more and more where your entire life is lived before the face of God and you are perpetually in mind of your dependence. That you have nothing that you have not received. Nothing is yours by right. It is only yours because God is willing to give it. But pride says, I've got this. And that's why Paul says, watch yourself before you fall. But again, to wrap this up, every wound from Jesus is couched in love. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, no temptation has seized you except that that which is common to man. And God will always provide you a way out. You always have an out in which you can walk more closely with God in the midst of the difficulties of your life, in the midst of the temptations and struggles that you face. And here's the most beautiful part of this scripture to me. There's a part in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, there were some in the wilderness with whom God was not pleased. Boy, that's a bleak picture, isn't it? For God not to be pleased with you. But this to me is an echo of another passage where there was one who went to the wilderness with whom God was pleased. Do you remember the story of Jesus? He is anointed with the waters of baptism. God, he comes out of them and God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well 
pleased, and he immediately goes into the wilderness. And he is a faithful son in the wilderness. He resists any temptation. He says no to all temptation. And he walks in faithfulness to God. And then that son with whom God is, with whom God is well pleased goes, walks all the way to the cross in faithfulness to offer his life for you and for me. And when he offers his life, he then offers to you and to me, come to me, and I will give you my love and my righteousness, and I will cleanse you. And you will become the beloved. And so Jesus brings all of us into his belovedness. He offers all of us to be God's beloved. And so the passage that says there were some with whom God was not pleased, he never wants you to have to worry about hearing that kind of declaration over you. He never wants you to have to worry that God would not be pleased with you. That's not his attitude toward his children. But if you live a life of presumption and pride, God's not pleased. It is when you are willing to acknowledge that anything you have is only because He will give it to you. That He can say, this is my beloved. When you keep your guard up, when you think you've got to fight and make it on your own, you can't be a beloved. You can't receive love. It's like a child that a a parent's trying to give them a hug, but they're fighting them the whole time. How do you show them love if they fight you the whole time, right? That's what it's like with God and us. We've got to relax into his arms and receive his declaration of our belovedness. Every wound that God would give you is couched in his steadfast love and mercy towards you. So as you continue through the season of Lent, look, we're, we're halfway into Lent. This is the point where it gets tiring. It's like, goodness, it's beautiful outside. Isn't it Easter already? Can't we just start celebrating? Can't we just jump there? I'm already struggling with some of the things that I said I was going to put down during Lent. I'm like, maybe I can bring that back up. The point of Lenten season is that there's an extended period of time in which you are offering yourself to God. You're asking Him, cleanse me of sin and help me to live more before you and before your mercy. Are you doing that this Lent? Will you receive God's kindness and love towards you and even the wounds that He would offer you as part of His love? It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.